From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 194 of the Killing It podcast. So Nye told me that I've been screwing up. And so sometimes she has to add extra pause before the word podcast. Oh, it rotates around. Nye, the screw ups just rotate around. This is this. And it's a random dice roll. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all just as likely to screw up at any given moment as anybody else. All right. Our holiday themed questions continue. Would you rather receive a nice but regifted present or a badly made yet heartfelt homemade present? Oh, I'll go with the homemade, hundred percent. So, uh, homemade anything. I like. For, in fact, I don't care if I just get cookies, and then uh, you know, I can regift them if I don't like the way they taste. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. Right into my sweet spot. I'm, I'm absolutely not offended by a high quality regifted item. You know, not everybody likes the same stuff, and if you got it at one party and it was like, well. Why'd you give that to me? Doesn't mean that somebody else in the world isn't gonna think it's the coolest thing in the world. You know how they do the like the white elephant parties right. where you know everybody shows up with something stupid? I guarantee I've never been to one of those where I didn't go out of there going, no, that was not a white elephant. That thing was awesome. Right, exactly. <laughs> so for me, it, it is the, the key word here is heartfelt, right? Is because you've you've offered me two things, where one of which is the heartfelt gift, and the other is just described as nice. So I will say for this question, I will go with the badly named made yet heartfelt homemade present because it's all about the intention, uh, you know. And and I I'm always very thankful to the fact that I'm at a point in life where I can get most of the things that I want myself so that I generally get wants as gifts rather than needs. And so you, so it is always about the thought. Is, is it somebody who has given some thought to what they want to give to me is always so much more important. So for me, in this definitely on this question, it would be the heartfelt homemade present. And there's a sliding scale on that one a little bit, right? The younger the giver is, the way more I will prefer the heartfelt part because you know if you're if you're 45 and you give me something homemade i'm gonna look at it and go that's nice i appreciate the effort but if you're four hey that's the coolest thing i've ever got ever had exactly and just a heads up i'm going to many more conferences in 2023 so my my goal Mm -hmm. actually have all of the gifts that i give for christmas next year be uh flashlights with different vendor logos on them (laughs) which is what Everyone wants for Christmas. <laughs> Again, you might think it's a white elephant. I think <laughs> flashlights are cool. <laughs> well, have you heard about Linode, a top infrastructure as a service provider that has resources specifically for helping MSPs explore the alternative cloud? Discover this growing market, one of the best kept secrets in building a scalable, thriving, modern managed service provider business. Learn about the cloud provider landscape, improving KPIs, security, and more in Linode's free ebook, The MSP's Guide to Modern Cloud Infrastructure, available now. This resource and more at linode.com slash MSP radio. Topic number one today is a killer. And in fact, it's all about Should the police have killer robots? 
in the news last week, San Francisco, uh, which seems like the oddest place for this to have come up, but San Francisco uh, passed an ordinance allowing the police to have robots capable of lethal force. And so the obvious question on all the talk radios is, is it, this move inevitable or uh, are the arguments in favor of this um, just rare exceptions to the rules? Because people, people say, oh, you know, if you let this happen, then the police can go kill everybody and da 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 da. It's like, uh, I sort of feel if these robots have other purposes and one purpose is uh, to to take somebody out in a very rare circumstance, that's one thing. But I really can't think of of something other than a terrorist attack where I would want the police to be able to make the decision to send in a robot that kills people. Didn't they see RoboCop? I saw RoboCop. Have you seen <laughs> RoboCop? This has been covered. This is a really horrible idea, okay? Watch the movie, really horrible idea. <laughs> but, 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 but let me also let me also observe that I actually want to take another angle on this and say, if you think you need to use lethal force, the situation is 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 horrifically gone out of control, and I am not necessarily one that want to endorse any use of lethal force in the field by the police, like as as a, as anything that we want to automate, and much less like generally happen. This should be a so rare occasion that in and of itself is the problem. And I would sort of say like, if we have enough money to invest in this, let's invest in all of the things to prevent this from ever being a situation rather than invest in technology to automate it. It seems like the wrong focus on solving policing uh, from my perspective is, is, is that, you know, if I'm not sure I want to automate policing, I'm sure actually would say I want to humanize it more and, 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 put less emphasis on the police solving every problem and more emphasis on other resources that make those situations not happen. See, and, and Carl, I would agree with you. This decision coming from that municipality, that's a very big surprise because if you get inside the decision, what they've said is, no, we're not going to be putting guns and stuff on these robots, but we will pack C4 on there and go blow up entire buildings. And, and again, not just terrorist scenarios, but active shooter situations and areas where the loss of life or harm to life of the police is a very real thing. And we want to get this thing solved. I, I kind of get where they're coming from. But Dave, in addition to seeing RoboCop, I also saw Terminator. And what I know for sure is that T1 was nowhere near as capable or as scary as T2. And I think this is the slippery slope that goes in that direction. There are times and scenarios where I could rationalize a bad person has a gun and they've killed a lot of people and they're going to kill a lot more people. And without endangering the police, let's go in there and solve this problem once and for all. What I thought was actually interesting in this process was that what the city council said was, A, no guns, only explosives, but B, before anyone can deploy this ever in any scenario in the field, there are Two humans who are elected officials, city officials who one or the other of them must be available, contact them and give verbal real-time approval for the application of deadly force using a robot. As we've said many times in different scenarios, robots are cool as long as they're 
enhancing the human activity, not replacing the human activity, not replacing the human ethics of killing, but enhancing. We've seen the situation. We understand what's going on. Let's go apply this very unfortunate solution. But we didn't just automate the drone to, you know, bomb what it thinks is the bad guy. It's there's a human who's making well, that decision. There is a human and there is a driver and there are cameras and all that happy stuff. My question is, have we skipped over several layers of potential things we could have that robot do, like have a uh, person talk somebody down, have a person communicate through the robot and say, hey, uh, you know, looks like you're having a bad day, right? So what, what what's going on? And, you know, how can we get you to, you know, let some hostages go, put down the gun, you know, whatever. Uh, there's a lot, of, you know, almost like a therapy robot. There's a place for that. There's also a lot of things that robots could do in terms of like bringing in a shield, bringing in some uh, some tear gas, uh, you know, there's many layers between the basic thing of we have robots that try to defuse bombs and if they die, well, the robot wasn't a human, so that's cool. There's a lot of area between that and let's go blow up a building, right? There's several <laughs> stages we seem to have missed. Robots can prevent bombs or they can deploy bombs. But, and, and so my question is like, is this something that has been talked about simply because we don't have any of those robots in intermediate stages? We only have the robots at the two ends of the spectrum? Well, again, it's also that element of like, well, what can we do with robots? Like not, not everything, <laughs> like again, it's right technology, right time. I mean, I look, I look at this and sort of say like to exactly that, like why don't we focus more on like creating more de-escalation processes and knowing i mean that is ultimately a little harder too i get that but that's actually the right answer and it, it's you know back to the, the the mindset that i want listeners particularly those of us in delivering it services is like you don't always look for a technology you don't take the technology and pair it to something you actually say like what is the right way to solve this problem and you know i look at it and say like Policing, I'm not sure I want to escalate this. In fact, what I want to do is make policing better. That's what I want to focus on. And I'm not convinced robots are the answer to making policing better. Well, and, and I think, Dave, to, to borrow Carl's logic here, I think there's never been a technology solution where a spectrum of possibilities is better than a point product, right? There, there, where it's always better to say, you know, this robot could defuse the bomb or it could deliver snacks and that could defuse and the hangry goes away and we don't got to kill anybody, right? Like, let's consider the possibilities and the incrementals. Now, that's obvious in this situation, but in any other technological application, it's like, well, we could have a customer service agent on a telephone and that individual could answer your question. Or we could go to a chat bot and no humans are involved and we... we totally saved money and you got stupid answers to your questions, but hey, wasn't it a technological solution? You know, you could technologically enable the customer service agent so they can solve problems quicker and more intelligently. The spectrum is always a better way to approach it than the absolute. Well, I just hope that we don't lose our bet by having a damn robot deliver a pizza to a bad guy. 
you just delivery robot kills the bad guy just then that's a... <laughs> i know and and carl you're the one who just gave them that idea so dang it <laughs> the pizza that puts the bad guy to sleep see there are spectrum opportunities but we're going to move on to topic number two guys there's a lot of data out there in the world and in fact so much data we've run out of words to describe it now i will say as a born in the like in the infancy of my career storage nerd i i have long been fascinated with the evolution and the the quantity discussion of data volumes you and i we we grew up in a world of KBs, kilobytes, and then there were megabytes and gigabytes, and then there were terabytes, and I always like to be able to say, and then there were these things called zettabytes and yottabytes, and people were always confused, like YZ came before Y in the spectrum, and eh, mind-blowing, unfathomable amounts of data, but guess what? We create so much data in the world these days that we ran out of freaking words. So the scientists among us have come up with new ones, the Ronabyte and the Ketabyte. And by the way, 10 to the 27th power or 10 to the 30th power. Uh, guys, uh, where do you see the storage volumes going and what's the cost per gigabyte gonna be on this stuff? I question whether or not the basis of a byte is any longer useful like because it's 1024 right so it's not even a nice even number and why not just use actual words <laughs> that we already have existing in the world of math uh this just seems like a silly thing for people to spend much time on at all as far as i'm concerned well except carl that's the thing if you get down into the meat of this study what they said is that whether you're talking about bytes or whether you're talking about dollars or the miles from here to a star this is a universal labeling convention not just for the world of data and storage, but that happens to be a practical place where we can apply it. But it is for numbering systems that will be applied to the entire world, including math. But, but when you get to, go to the powers of tan that they use in science, at some point, it's completely useless. Like it's, it's meaningless. Uh, it, it, it's precise and exact and meaningless at the same time. <laughs> like describe to me the difference between, you know, 10 to the power of 127 versus 10 to the power of 129. I got, So for me, I want to actually separate out data from the need for number management, right? So number management is a thing, right? And, and, I, and I get that there are scientists that need to deal with very large numbers. That, that is a thing. It exists and a small subset of the population will ever be truly worried about very, very large numbers. The only reason that at some level this becomes a thing is because we are now dealing with data which has gotten very large. However, it's also relative, okay? And, and so for, if I think about things in terms of more abstract ideas, the number of photos I have has not changed. I add photos and they have gotten better and bigger. But for me, the concept of a photo is still a photo. I have documents, I have written word documents. Those generally are stored in things that have a size, but I don't actually have to worry about the size. I worry about how many documents I have created, how many 
emails I have created. I don't necessarily think about the bit. So I think what we're actually struggling with is we need a way of being more generic of talking about storage that humans can use that is somewhat relative that continues on the spectrum because I, the only reason I care about size is I need to store enough of my photos and because we've not abstracted it, users must think about the size of the photo and then match it to the hard drive. But that's not actually the problem they're trying to solve. They're really just trying to solve the problem of, I take photos, I would like to store my photos. <laughs> well, see, but this is the thing, right? I think from not just a practical, but also a financial and business management point of view, this gets very practical very, very quickly, right? Uh, I, again, I grew up in a world selling laptop computers uh, that were had hard drives in the megabytes. And when we first put a gigabyte into one of them, we went, ooh, and you know what? That one gigabyte hard drive was sold inside the tower of a desktop computer that at the day it was released. That just the tower, not the monitor, not the keyboard, just the tower cost $3,200. Now, we would never pay that much for that little storage volume now. But back then, that was a radical advancement of our capacity. And then, by the way, the first time we brought out a terabyte drive um, in the industry, people scoffed and said, you'll never need a terabyte. You, the, uh, one computer to solve the whole world's problem. One percent of the companies will need a computer. Uh, thanks, Bill Gates. But the world moves on and we invent new ways to consume the data volume that's available. The, the data point, and by the way, we're linking to these articles in the show notes, I would I would highly encourage people go and find these things. We create more data every single year, video and audio and, and files and databases and whatever. We create as a collective population more data every single year than existed in human history from the dawn of time through the year 1970. We click that stuff out all the time. It just manufactures. And so what we used to do, I, I mean, again, I was around when we sold the first terabyte data mirroring, active monitoring data storage solution. Like we did that stuff and the first one of those went off at a street price of a million dollars for a terabyte in the 1990s, right? Like that was not that long ago. But now, if you think about this, and again, uh, the second article that we're linking to points out how your customers, they see that hockey stick of data volume growth that's happening out here in the world. They get it, but their budgets are not going up as a hockey stick. And so what used to be like dollars per gigabyte or now what we're saying, you know, the dollars per, per terabyte, um, that's cool. But if you applied that same amount to a zettabyte or a yottabyte or, a, God forbid, a ronabyte off into the future. Right now, those seem like silly things. There will come a day where you are carrying a device in your pocket that has onboard storage of a petabyte or an exabyte of capacity. You look at that now and you go, well, that's dumb. I'd never get in oh. there. And my answer is, dude, you need to be selling storage. Except, except... <laughs> The cost of storage is has been driving its way towards zero for at least the, since I've been alive, right? So the problem on a per is, capacity basis. The, the problem is we're not actually creating all the data you say we're creating. Like people talk about this all the time, but I can tell you, my backup 
from 2019 included my backups from 2018, 2017, 2016, <laughs> right? And, and yes. my backup from 2022 is going to have 2021, 2019, right? Mm -hmm. On and on and on. And everybody is doing that. And we even, even the technology, you know, people are just unwilling to say, I trust deduplication. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, Here. I was going to say they have deduping tools. None of us trust yeah, them. It, it's easier to <laughs> drag another copy into the backup. And so, so a lot of the, what we're creating, if you have a zero sum and you say, look, just dedupe the whole thing, you'll lose three quarters of that. So part of the problem is people are wasting space intentionally. Software bloats because they're, the, the cost of disk space is no longer an element in their considerations. And what's happening is the only people who care about this discussion are people who are trying to sell data space. And in fact, they're, they're seeing that there's no value to a gigabyte. There's, like, literally, there's no value to selling a gigabyte worth of storage, right? Nope, like, not anymore. Like, okay, not anymore, but... eight pictures, right? Or half of a minute of video, right? So it depends on what you're storing and so forth, but basically, they're trying to sell small pieces in a world where small pieces are no longer relevant. Yeah, and, and, and this is this is where like I don't think cust customers ultimately don't really care either, and that's the other bit is, is to is to think about is is customers don't care about that stuff, and so I think we need ways of talking about data in a customer centric manner um, that actually gives you a way of understanding the relative size of something as because I mean if I think about video. Right. So video before was smaller because it was lower resolution. There's video in the future is going to be high, it'd be larger. But I'm also still need to just manage videos. Right. I will just need to manage those and I need to have a way of talking about it that works in that sense. But we're not going to necessarily solve that today. Although <laughs> although before we move on from this topic, I will just say that the data storage industry, if you are if you are in managed services, if you are in the infrastructure application, custom development industries, and you look at data storage and you scoff and go, there's no money in storage, let me just say that there's more dollars spent on storage every year than there are on servers, precisely because of Carl's compounding backups and whatever and all of the, the data volumes. Uh, we're talking 10, 20, 100 billion dollars a year is on the roadmap for opportunities in storage. If y'all are selling stuff we that can't get the storage data, sales guy out of Ryan, we just will never be able to get you're the selling storage things sales that create data, data and you don't also sell the storage to host the data. You're just leaving money on the table. Well, I'm going to pivot us to the next version of data, and I'm going to. We, it would be inevitable that we need to talk about chatbots and generative AI again, particularly with Chat GPT tearing up the news in the past week or so. It would be inevitable we have to talk about it. Uh, there is this ever increasing ability to create content, uh, but now the questions are, are adding up. In particular, like you know, what about it actually being accurate? Chat GPT will confidently spew bullshit uh <laughs> it is quite good at that uh is it art gents what what are the questions we're wrestling with as these bots can move faster and come more often well i think we've covered this a thousand times but the the, the biggest question is uh, ethics right that anytime we talk about ai part of the question has to be ethics 
But there's also the appropriateness. There are people having relationships with AI bots. And whether you like that or not, think that's appropriate, inappropriate, just plain stupid, um, it's happening and it's part of our future. And so I think there's a role, there's an emerging role for AI. And to the extent that it's just creative, that's cool. But when we turn over certain systems to AI and then stop monitoring it, we could potentially be creating a number of problems. And, and I love the idea, like, especially the creative side of things. I think that's all beautiful. And uh, it's hard for me to be, believe that Tony Francisco could be any more beautiful than he already is. But when you put him through AI, he just looks <laughs> like, you know, he's gonna be in one of the next movies, right? So, but, but the, the, the whole idea that you're gonna turn over important things to AI, I'm still not comfortable with that because I can put a question into an AI bot from a very big company like, like AT&T or Apple and get an inappropriate response again and again and again. And so eventually it's like, you're just frustrating me and we haven't eliminated any people. So um, I think we need to go into it with a little optimism, a little bit of, of uh, skepticism and maybe a little bit of hope. See, and, and this is where can you versus should you is always part of the conversation. Uh, for those of you out there in the world who have not spent some time with the chat GPT uh, resource, it's shockingly capable, right? Like, let's put it that way. It's not just a generative AI that can create content. It does things at a level of not just completeness and, and, and fluency, but at a pace, at a speed that boggles the human imagination, right? Like to the level of, I could ask it for things I would ask Google for, and it will give me answers that are not just interesting, but way more detailed, right? Like not just, hey, what kind of shoes are popular this year? And then Google will give me 14 pages of links of people who are advertising shoe sales versus ChatGPT will give you the response of every true gentleman should have the following five shoes in their collection. And these are the times and the places where you do it because it's intuitive based on what is the next logical word that would come in that sequence. That's kind of interesting. And you can see where that could be uh, against an FAQ document for chat bot in a customer service application. That could be very, very interesting. But you can also ask it to do things like, you know, I want you to apply the tone and style of a particular comedian, and I want you to write me an epic poem in quintuplet form about... Kim Kardashian being a makeup billionaire. Um, and it produces that output in literally less than one second. Now, that's not the, something that I think society is prepared to deal with because the ethical implications on the other side of this thing, um, can you imagine being a high school English teacher who gives an assignment to a student and says, I would like for you to write for me an original essay on the following topic. And every child in your class, infinitely younger and more technologically savvy, then the teacher goes home and says to their computer, I want you to give me an essay on X in the style of Y. And in less than a second, homework assignment done and I'm back to playing Fortnite or whatever we're doing in the future, right? Uh, that's a problem, but I will say my ultimate takeaway on this, 
is it's not just that you could use it with bad intentions. It's that the AI does not have the ability to distinguish between a correct answer and an incorrect answer. It can only give you the answer on which it has been trained. It can be trained incorrectly. It can be trained intentionally incorrectly. And it gives you an, a response that, as the experts describe it, is fluently, confidently incorrect. Well, now that's terrible, right? As a person who often makes up shit for a living um, and, and says things and I get paid to talk about stuff, I don't need to live in a world where a confident AI can answer a question and, and it can be totally freaking wrong. And people go, no, no, he was confident, man. He said it like he meant it. So it must be true. Well, come on. People can do that very, very. I yes, tested this theories myself and very confidently said things <laughs> that I know nothing about. Uh, but so wh where I actually want to go with this is I think the, the piece of the answer that I want to focus on is the ability to be more transparent about the sources and the models and what it is trained on. Because the theme that I keep seeing on all this is the where it's deriving the information from. So for example, if I think about art, the big problem is, is if you train it on other people's art and they have they have created a style and then the AI appropriates that if you don't know what it was trained on, you can't see that. But if you know what it's trained on, you can actually start getting some insights into that. The same is also true on some of these data set questions where it's like, well, it confidently is wrong. Well, you can learn some of where it's trained from and where it's getting it. And I think there's a need here to understand citation and, and, and crediting of source that will guide us closer to an answer. I'm, I'm not saying it's the, the whole answer to this, but the problem that we're all struggling with is the fact that we do not have enough insight into the model and we can't figure it out when we need to. And I think that's the area that I'm looking to AI uh, scientists, researchers, experts just start saying is, is I, I think that's the area that they're not spending enough time on that will help get us closer to feeling more comfortable with, with how well, this works. And again, as Carl said, as Carl said, it's the ethics, not the technology. Right, and I think we need layers of uh, how we apply standards to AI. I'm a little looser on the, the art side of things. If you wanna create something that you think is beautiful, knock yourself out. Um, but if you uh, are dealing with healthcare or people's lives, I think we need much different standards yeah, so, but I, I would also say that that poem about Kim Kardashian, if that's, if that's something that you need to determine whether or not it was a plagiarized, the <laughs> oldest trick in the book as an instructor will still work every day of the week. And I'm not going to tell Which you what is. it is. Oh no! See now, 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 now I feel threatened. <laughs> I can He's holding back on the good stuff. That's the good stuff, right? <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I can find plagiarism any day of the week from anything you write. You just send me the sample, and I will bet you off. But is, but, all right, no, but I want to. I, I won't ask for your secret. But I will. Is it plagiarism? If it's a if it's created new by the AI, is it is it plagiarism? Well, so the so. In the world of creativity, we never create anything. We only combine. But uh, I, you know, and I'll give you what the, I'll give you what the the secret is because we're we're out of time and we're gonna have to cut this off from the recording anyway. But the the secret is, I'm gonna print out this thing that you say you've written. I'm gonna take a black marker and I'm gonna 
cross out every fifth word. And if you can fill it in, you wrote it. If the AI wrote it, you will not be able to get 10% of the, cor the words correct. Because you have a style and the AI does not have your style. Trust me, this works for elementary school, college, everything in between. There we go. That's Carl has solved the world's problems. And with that brilliant comment, we come to the end of episode 194 of the Killing It podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.